All right, if you're open your uh, Bibles up into Hebrews. The format for tonight is we're going to be addressing some of the questions that were in the question box. And then with the remaining time, if uh, there is, we will uh, go back to Acts 17. And the last question I saved, it segues right into what I have the, the rest of it to share if we get to that. But if not, that's all right. And just to remind the brothers of the format that it is an open discussion, I will give uh, um, some thoughts on the question, but it is open to comment, disagreements, encouragement, amen, whatever it is. Uh, It is an open session. So Uh, let's look to the Lord before we get started. Our Father, we just thank you for this time once again, and we look to you for help, and we pray that you'd open our eyes so we might uh, behold wondrous things from your book. In Lord Jesus' name we do pray, amen. All right, the first question is a very, um, it's a very good one, and it's a very uh, meaty one, but it it's, comes from Hebrews 1 where you're turned. And the question reads, what does by the word of power mean in Hebrews 1.3? And so if you're familiar with the book of Hebrews, there are several things uh, going on in this book. And maybe this is too much information, but it helps me to understand what's going on in the context of this book and why it's been written. And you have a group of, of, of true believers, and there might be some in their midst that aren't, that are seeking to go back to Judaism. And the writer seeks to, to write a book, and starting from the beginning, from the bedrock faith, starting with the Son of God, he says he... Uh, he will prove that what Christianity is, biblical Christianity, is better than uh, Judaism. And what it has uh, come out of it, it's not a sect of Judaism. It's something completely new. But it's more superior. It's more superior because of the messenger. They had prophets, but now it's the Son of God. More superior priesthood. Aaron failed. Could not, uh, could not bring the people in. Could not interact uh, and, and deal with them gently. The Lord Jesus can. He's the great high priest. And some of these things are going on in this book of Hebrews, but chapter 1 starts with is the, the proof that who the Son of God is, Jesus, being uh, God Himself. And this is how he opens up this, this uh, chapter. He says, God, for, and this is for context sake, till we get to this uh, question, but I think it's helpful that we read it. It says, For God, after He spoke long uh, go to the fathers and prophets and in many portions and in many ways. And so he starts off by declaring what has happened in, uh, a, well, this was, you know, uh, first century written, but what happened in the B.C. time, thousand years before. God would come and speak to them in different ways, different forms. He'd send angels. Uh, the law was delivered by, by angels. He would speak to them in dreams. Remember, Joseph was given a promise in a dream, right? The sheaves. Uh, the sun and the stars, and, 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 and the prophets in different ages and different time periods served God. They were God's mouthpieces. And they got, uh, the people got direction from God from the prophet. They were the oracles. And then they wrote down scriptures. David was a prophet. And, and he's stating the, the obvious, that God spoke through these uh, various men and in different ways and portions. And it, in, if... We can take this in a little example. What would be more clear communication? If I were speaking to you right now, or if I were speaking to you through maybe the door right here or through some kind of muffled uh, uh, you know, uh, 
something that was heating our, our, our interaction or, or some kind of electronic media. It's, it is the communication. But to get it from the source himself is far better. And so the Lord Jesus is God. And this is what he says. And in verse 2, it says, In these last days is spoken to us in Son or His Son. And so God now is speaking from God Himself. God the Father has sent God the Son to speak to us. It's the source Himself. Uh, whom He appointed heir of all things, through whom He made the world. And so there's a couple of points here proving that Jesus isn't just a man. He actually is God and He existed before time itself. And the first point is, he appointed heir of all things means that he owns it. He's been given it. And why? Because he made it. It's the very next point. Through whom he made the, uh, made the world. So the universe around us is created by, God, by the Son of God, the Lord Jesus. Verse 3. And he is the radiance of his glory. Another attribute. Meaning that the excellence and the intrinsic character that shines out of God is from him. Comes from him too. He shares in it because he's divine. The exact representation of his nature. As I look at the Lord Jesus, what would God do? What, how would he interact? How would he, uh, do, what would he do in this situation? I can look at Jesus and I say that's exactly what God would do. Because he is God. He's the exact representation of his nature. He upholds all things by the word of his power. There's our question. And he made... Uh, let's, let's stop there. He upholds all things by the word of his power. Now it's very interesting, this word. But... What the idea is, is that the entire world that he made, time is being uh, woven, starting from when, Adam, uh, when time began, and God exists out of that. It's hard to think about that, but he doesn't exist in what we know as time beginning, starting, and everything else that we know, and our finite minds can, can comprehend. But he is uh, moving history and moving the universe along to its destiny, to its purpose that God has already predestined, where it's going to go. And God is moving everything. That, that's the idea. He upholds things by the word of his power. Now, this has come under attack, and it's not something of recent. Um, it's, it, it started, I mean, you look at even the beginnings of this nation, um, you know, there was the, uh, the era of enlightenment and things like that and, and humanistic thinking. And what it was was trying to displace God and that he, well, he created everything, but then he took a step back and he's not really involved anymore in what's going on here. And so, so, uh, slowly but surely, man is trying to dethrone God from being involved. And he's not really, uh, um, he's not really concerned and he has no power and, and in the sense that, you know, we can do things to the planet and we maybe could blow it up and, and you know, comets coming to destroy it. Well, if God would allow it, that could happen. And the fact of the matter is, is while uh, we might have a scientist here that disagree with me, humans will not be the end of this earth. You know, pollution will not be the end of this world, uh, earth. Driving 10 SUVs, whatever, and all the smog and all that stuff, it's not going to be the end of this earth. And as much as we produce garbage, God is still going to continue the, this world to exist. And the universe is getting bigger. And it's just, it's really uh, amazing to think about it, that God upholds all things by the word of his power. Now, to contrast this, this word uh, um, upholds, it's pretty interesting as I was looking for this. The idea in contrast is in numbers. Same word, same idea. Numbers 11, there also was another man who was the leader of a group of people, his name is Moses, and he was upholding them. He was moving them along to the promised land. And look at what he says here. 
Uh, Numbers eleven fourteen. It says, "I am uh, I alone am not able to carry all these people because it is too burdensome to me. It is too heavy." And what he's saying is that I can't carry them to their destiny. I can't uphold them anymore because it's too much for me. So unlike Moses, the Lord Jesus will complete and uphold and move the history to where its end is, where God wants it, because He is God. That's the idea of upholding the, upholding the Word, or upholding all things by the Word of His power. He just speaks it and it moves on. And so man cannot thwart God's plan. It will continue until it has reached its final goal. And that, it also, you know, that's a word of encouragement for the believer too. As much as things seem out of control and as much as things seem uh, uh, against us in opposition, you know, God will complete what He set out to do. And that's building His church. Uh, and the rest of, his, rest of His verse, it says, And when He made purification of sins, He sat down at the right hand of God on the majesty on high, having become much more better than the angels. He has inherited a much more excellent name than they. And so... Where he, uh, his work, his purification of sins, we talked about the, the, the death, the suffering, and the resurrection, but then the position he has now at the right hand of God. A position only that could be occupied by God himself, the highest place of authority in all of the universe. And so I'll open up for comments on any of that. Uh, what does it mean uh, by the word of his power? As important as his work of salvation was, you know, the Lord, it's almost just as important his work now. It's, it's not something that he's passively gone into heaven and now seating at the right hand of God. We know here that he holds all things by the word of his power. So he's maintaining it, as Brother Mike just said. He's maintaining things. But he also is now acting as our high priest, interceding on our behalf. So he's actively doing something while we don't see him 
but he's working behind the scenes and everything is moving according to his design. And we take great encouragement in that, in that we have a great high priest who is able to bring us into the end, who's able to give us what he has promised, and he's able to intercede for, uh, uh, intercede for our behalf. Unlike Moses, who was not able to bear the heavy burden of the people, he is able. That's really what the Christian has to base his faith on. The only thing, because as, Tim, uh, as Brother Tim just pointed out, you know, we have we're we're looking for a, a kingdom that can't be seen, and we're serving a God that doesn't be is, isn't seen. And so, we have promises in God's word that whether we make them our own and we live by them, they are reality. Um, there's a couple of uh, um, things that are spoken between the Godhead that what what implications they mean. The Lord said unto my Lord, sit at my right hand. The idea that God, again, is at the, uh, the Lord Jesus is at the right hand of God. That He's not somebody as the world would perceive, well, He's humili- He's dead, or he, He's somebody um, that was rejected. No, He's at the right hand of God. But He also is a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. And so there's things in there that, that the, word of God, the, the Word of God that we take that brings comfort to the heart, that God makes uh, the promises known to us, and that we can live by. And we can have great confidence in the Word of God and what God has spoken to us. While we don't see it, it is the reality.
last days. They're both found in Acts. And we covered this last week. Um, It was the portion that we did in Acts 16. But the question reads, why was Paul, this is Acts 16 and verse 17 and 18. Question reads, why was Paul annoyed with the gospel preaching in Acts? And this would be in reference to the girl who was possessed and that was um, either somehow, uh, you know, through deception, uh, spitting out lots of uh, fortune telling, and people would come to it and and uh, pay money. You know, that it's funny to think about that. That you know, here we have the word of God, and we're just talking about where all things are going to be summed up in Christ, and we know where it's going. But yet, in deep down, in unregenerate man, they want to know what's going to happen next. And they'll do everything to find out, but they won't go to the source and, and go to the truth, right? They'll go everywhere else. But in any case, um, this girl was, was coming after them. This is in the city of Philippi. And she was saying this in verse 17. It says, following after Paul and us, she kept crying out and saying, these men are bondservants of the Most High God who are proclaiming to you the way of salvation or a way, literally. Um, And she continued doing this for many days, but Paul was greatly annoyed and turning and said to the Spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out of her that very moment. So, um, and Brother Jamel did answer, I believe, uh, aptly this question is, why why did this happen in this transaction? Well, there's one one, uh, theme going on is that the source of this proclamation, while it seems it is true, but the, the root of it is the devil, right? Is Satan, is the enemy. And we know that Satan has no part in what God is doing. He is condemned 
And, 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 and there was times where the Lord Jesus uh, interacted with him and told him to get behind him because you were looking out for the things of man, but you're not looking for the things of God. So um, because of the source, this is what uh, was going on. But there's also another thing going on. Because after this, what happens? Well, God uses that for Paul and Silas to go to jail to meet the Philippian jailer. So there's a lot of things going on. Why did this, this transaction happen? But why uh, was Paul annoyed? I don't know. I don't want to speculate beyond the fact that he considered the source. And perhaps, you know, it, would, it because she was a known, there was something spiritual perhaps about her that people knew. Um, he, seeing it, you know, uh, given the insight, the spiritual insight, cast the demon out in the name of the Lord Jesus. Um, but the, the population around them perhaps knew that this source and this girl was possessed by a demon. But um, that's all I would say. I don't know beyond that uh, to speculate why else would he would be annoyed. But I'll turn it, open, uh, turn it over to you, brethren, if you have any comments on that. Just absolutely, you know, I've watched it in TV 
looks like it's true, it, it seems like it is, and, and to somebody who, who is uh, you know, maybe easily swayed or is not firmly grounded in the word of God will be led astray. And so uh, I, I think there's probably many reasons why Paul rebuked uh, this, uh, this spirit, um, not the least of which for perhaps the salvation of the very person who was being possessed by the devil. Mm -hmm. So um, I, I, I think there's some many reasons why. And you alluded to a few and others have mentioned. I, I uh, just agree that we have to be very careful with the source of, yes. uh, of teaching. Not, not only what they're teaching, but the source of And you can see that the masters, uh, or the girls' masters, those who were profiting from this uh, this uh, girl and her and her utterance and her speaking, but they said these men are throwing our city into confusion, being Jews, proclaiming customs which is not lawful for us to accept or observe, being Romans. And so, if we're out there preaching the gospel and the world's like, yeah, yeah, let's go and do it, well, they, you know, they're they're mixing it with what they want to hold on to. Remember, our gospel, the gospel, is not something of this world. It didn't originate from here. And what it's saying is that this world is heading for destruction. And so while you know, they, they, that's what they saw, what was going on. The message that they were preaching wasn't what that girl was saying because if they would have stuck with her, well, she was still, or what was going on there, she was still saying, ah, things are all right, you know. You're having a, good look, a little luck. Maybe you win the Roman lottery. I don't know, whatever it is. You know, give your money to the poor. You know, things could be all right. But the thing is, you know, change has to come from within, and that's only through salvation. That's only from uh, the source that's divine. It's not something man-made. It's not something demonic. Um, but it's something not of this world. And it is against everything that the world knows because it's not uh, something from them or it's not something from that system. I'm reminded of Balaam, uh, that enigmatic prophet in um, Numbers. Here was a man that uh, he was a false prophet, but, you know, he had, he spoke the word of God. Must I not take heed to speak that which the Lord hath put in my mouth? He had spiritual language. He had spiritual longings. He said, let me die the death of the righteous. And he had spiritual light, right? I, be, I, I shall behold it. There shall come a star out of Jacob, and a scepter shall arrive out of Israel, and shall smite the corners, and so on. He had spiritual uh, light, but he was spiritually lost, right? So, you know, he's one of those uh, ones that it's hard to understand, but here's one that his, his uh, uh, you know, he spoke the word of God, but he certainly didn't live the word of God. He gave the wrong counsel to the children of Israel and so forth, and uh, God had to use a dumb donkey, right, to, to speak to him, yeah. to, to stop the madness of the prophet. A word of advice is, you know, don't ever trust the person that speaks to donkeys. And so, you know, that, that whole story is really interesting, you know, the, that the Lord would use that. But the fact of the matter that Balaam immediately replies to an animal and talks to him, I mean, it's just kind of, kind of a weird interaction there. But um, let's go on to the next if there's any more comments on that. This is in Acts 15, just one pa uh, passage over. Uh, Acts 15, this is all, uh, the council at Jerusalem. Some have titled this, but um, there were some men that came down to Antioch, which was another establishment of Christians, Gentiles being saved. And these men came down 
uh, it says came down from Judea, and we're unfamiliar where their uh, their originate, uh, what group they uh, were representing, perhaps uh, Pharisees, whatever the case is. But they came down to this church, and what they said to him, it says, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. And so it caused such a disruption among the Christians there, because not only now were they saved by grace, that they had these people coming down who had the appearance of spirituality and knew the word of God, but said, now you have to do this. Now you have to do something extra. Everything that you knew before, well, that's just not enough. You need to have something else, right? The book of Galatians is, 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 uh, is about this, right? They're called the, uh, now the Judaizers. The, night, the name almost slipped my mind. But the Judaizers came and said, yes, saved by grace, and, 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 but you have to keep the law as well. And so the law was such a burdensome that not even, Peter says, not even our fathers nor we could keep. It was such a yoke on their neck because it re, it uh, depended on me and what I can do. And so this disrupted, and, and they were troubled by this because now, what did that mean? They have to go to Jerusalem? Is that the center of worship? And what about the sacrifices? All that circumcision. And, and, and Paul would, in Galatians would say that if you're circumcised, then you're obligated to keep the entire law and to be under that entire system and, and all that. So uh, in, in 19 and 20, this, uh, the Paul and Barnabas are sent from the church to go down to the, to the apostles and the elders there and to discuss this matter. And, and what they come out from that is that it is not necessary. We are saved from, uh, by grace. Just uh, Simon relates how, how um, the Gentiles, just as they were, you know, up, up to this point, those Jews thought, well, God only speaks Hebrew. You know, he only comes to us. They didn't think he was going anywhere else. No, but now he's, you know, the idea in God's mind was to go toward the entire uh, uh, earth and just branch out of the Hebrew people. It's not just the Jewish, it's not a Jewish uh, group of believers, but to branch out. And they were saved, the Jews were saved by grace, the Gentiles are saved by grace, united in Christ, all the same. And so that's what Peter says, and I'm skipping a lot of it, but in 1920, um, James, who happens to be, I don't think this is, obviously this is not the James, I think this is probably the brother of the Lord Jesus, but James um, decides, well, he says this in 19, what can we send back to them uh, to encourage them? He says that, um, well, we did not, in 23, it says the apostles, it says, uh, 24, we have heard that some of our number whom we gave no instruction disturbed you with these words. So he says that, you know, that source of those people, they're, they're not from us. But what he tells them, he says this in 19, going back, it says, therefore it is my judgment, this is still James speaking, that we do not trouble those who are turning to God from among the Gentiles but write to them that they abstain things contaminated by idols and from fornication and from, thing, and from what is strangled and from blood. 21 says, For Moses from ancient generations has in every city those who preach him, since he is read in every synagogue and uh, every Sabbath. And so certain conditions placed on the Gentile believers in Acts. I don't think, before I answer that, Let's look at when these believers read it, and I think that will help us to understand how they interpreted this uh, letter being given to them and what the elders and apostles sent to encourage them. It says this in 31. It says, When they read it, they rejoiced because of its encouragement. 
And so those believers received it in a way of encouragement. They said, well, they were so, these people before, these Judaizers were so convincing to us, they almost convinced us that now we have to be circumcised. But then you have the apostles who gathered together and by the Spirit were, were um, relaying to them that you don't need to be. But what they, uh, what they gave them were sort of guidelines. I don't necessarily think they're conditions to a holy life. But that's why we have the word, right? Uh, in Thessalonians, we were just in this, uh, studying this city, but um, Paul says this in, in 1 Thessalonians 2. If the word of God is important. There are things, that, there's commands for us to adhere by, and there's things that we listen. And, and that's God's word to us. We were just thinking about that. That's God's uh, direction to how the believer lives. Um, but there's... Um, we have something else, that uh, a person that actually helps us. But to interpret this is, uh, in, in 2, two uh, ten it says, You are all witnesses, and so is God, how devoutly upright and blameless we behaved among you and, believe, and you believers. Just as you know, we are exhorting and encouraging you, imploring you, just as a father would his own children. So Paul did do this. He did give them, if you want to use this language, conditions, or things that the Lord uh, would say, abstain from fornication. Uh, uh, don't eat things that were sacrificed with idols. The idea was don't associate with the idolatry worship. It says, so what, why? Why would uh, Paul do this? Why would a father correct his child? Well, he wants them to see, uh, to grow up and to be the man or the woman that they ought to be and, and to, live to, make, uh, to live to the potential that they could be. It says, so that you may walk in a manner worthy of God who calls you into his kingdom and in glory. And so there are instruction that comes from God, and we have it in His Word. But, you know, there is this, the Christian life, and, and I thought about this, you know, before, but this is also answered in Galatians. You know, the Christian life is, well, you know, there's a part of you that wants to kind of fall back into that legalism, that law, because, well, is it right for me to do this or not? Is there an exact answer, yes or no? And we want to go back into that because it's kind of a crutch. It helps us along. Well, oh, we can't do that because, you know, here's our crutch and we're going to put it right underneath us. And because we do this, we think we're spiritual, this crutch that legalism uh, provides. And how does the Christian live his life? Well, there's a new way. And he's indwelt by the Spirit. And Galatians says this. There's, it's a, it's a tightrope walk, so to speak. One side of the Christian life, there's legalism. But the other side, there's... Uh, um, uh, you would say is um, liberal, is going off in the other direction, taking advantage of grace. Both sides are, are an abuse of grace, of being called into a Christian, but they're both not right. But what is the answer to both of them? Well, it's, it's walking in the Spirit. So Galatians 5, uh, Galatians 5 says this, verse 5, it says, For we through the Spirit by faith are waiting for the hope of righteousness. What is the law supposed to do? Well, they, they followed the law because they were hoping that their righteousness would mean something later. They were hoping that their righteousness would get them somewhere and the things that they can do. Well, that's not what the Christian faith is. That's not what God has provided. We, through the Spirit, by faith, are waiting for the hope of righteousness. We have come to God by faith, believing that everything that He has done, there's no part of us. There's nothing what we've done. He's done it all. His righteousness is upon us, and that's what we're waiting for. By the Spirit, we're waiting for that. That's the, uh, that's the pit of legalism. So how do I live my life? Well, by the Spirit, I'm waiting for the hope of righteousness. 
following what God has commanded in His Word, and the Spirit gives me direction. Well, what about the other side? The other side is, well, what about going in the opposite direction, just doing what I can? I'm free from the law. I can do live as I please. Well, verse 16, by say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not con- uh, carry out the desires of the flesh. And so you have both sides, the pit of legalism and the pit of, uh, there's a better word, but I can't think of it right now, of going uh, in the opposite direction of liberalism and, and fleshly living. What's that? Licentiousness. There you go. Licentiousness. Both sides, both not right, and both pits are very destructive to the Christian life. Legalism, licentiousness. And, um, and there's even Christians today, I was talking to last summer a camper that his particular group is, says, well, the law, you know, God never commanded us to stop following the law. And so that's why we do it. You know, we, we observe in the Sabbath and we do all these things. But the guideline now is not something exterior. It's not, a, it's not written rules that by the flesh we have to uh, uh, try to fulfill and, 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 and our standing means something. No, it's the Spirit in us working out, right? It's the Holy Spirit giving guidance, walking in the Spirit, and that's how the Christian uh, uh, avoids both sides, walking in the Spirit. I hope that makes sense. Um, but I kind of got off the, the, the course of the question. But the idea of certain conditions, I don't necessarily think it was conditions, but in the sense that it was uh, uh, encouragement because of the way that they received it. They said that they were encouraged by the letter being read. Uh, is there any comments on that? What exactly was the question? Why were, there, uh, why were certain conditions placed on the, Christians, uh, the Christian Gentiles in Acts 15? Oh. I got Acts chapter 15. I was hoping for some help before I actually... Oh. <laughs> that's a little late now. <laughs> oh. I'm, kidding. Uh, I'm sorry. I... No, I'm kidding. <laughs> oh, okay. Felt a little embarrassed there. It's a good question. You know, it's a good question. It's a, it's a good question. Because I think everybody thinks about that as, as, you know, how do I live my Christian life? How do I continue? How do I keep going forward? Well, walking in the Spirit, it's, it's laid out for you. And, and, and it comes from within. It comes from the new life that you've been given and the Holy Spirit living in you. One of the things that came to the surface as I was preparing for that actually was the fact that you had Gentiles who were, in the, in the Jewish perspective, they were abhorrent, right? That, you know, their, their conduct with, you know, when you talked about licentiousness, they, they were people who had no moral conduct or code that would have been anything similar to what the what the Jews knew, and so fornication and eating, uh, you know, the blood of animals and things strangled and things offered to idols and all of these things were abhorrent to the Jews, and you know, here was here was a not conditional upon salvation. Your salvation is not conditioned upon the adherence to these guidelines, but we are giving you. You will do well, right? Mm-hmm. Fare thee well if you uh, abide by. Sacrifice to idols. Don't think eat things strangled. These are all, you know, guidelines that were going to help in uh, establishing harmony between the Jews and the Gentiles. Because now, right, the Jew and the Gentile, right, the middle wall of partition is taken down, and now uh, Christianity, if you will, right, you're bringing these two two uh, people groups together under one the headship of one Lord, right, the Lord Jesus. Mm-hmm. And so it'd be very difficult to have 
have somebody who was strictly adhering to the law and with no, you know, the, the food uh, laws and so on and so forth, to be sitting next to somebody who was chomping on a, a ham sandwich. Mm-hmm. It's going to be very difficult. So there, there was uh, teaching as to how to not have this uh, disharmony mm-hmm. in the body uh, of believers or this schism so that now there are Jewish Christians and there are Gentile Christians. There's only one, right? Mm-hmm. You are either in Adam or you are in Christ. Which one is it, right? And so uh, I think um, the teaching there about uh, avoiding those certain things was not to cause offense so mm-hmm. that there would not be a schism, so that there would be harmony, unity in the body of Christ. My humble thought. Not condition. The salvation is not conditioned upon right. the yeah. We have three minutes, so the last (laughs) five verses that we have here, and it will just be really brief, but going straight from that into this, and I think it's a nice segue from it, is, well, how do we we live our Christian life, and what is the guidelines, and, and how do I get encouragement? Well, it's the Word of God, and I think we can learn something from these believer, uh, from these people in Berea. And it says here in, in, in Acts 17, just a page over, if you're still in 15, it says, And the brethren immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. Now remember, this morning there was a lot of opposition. And the whole city, was there was a riot going on. And the brethren sent them off. Now if you looked on the map, it's about 50 miles away. And so it's interesting, you know, the brethren send them off to Berea. But when they sent them off, it wasn't just like, here's your bus ticket, go ahead, or camel ride, whatever it was, and here you go, you know? Because look at what it says down in 15. Now those, because it happened again in Berea, you know, the, the, the people that were enemies to the gospel followed them. But it says when they left Berea, it says, now those who conducted Paul brought him as far as Athens. Athens was 200 miles away from Berea. So they actually followed him. They went with him and then back to their houses, right? And they, they, took, him with, uh, they took Paul and they went with him uh, from Berea to Athens. And I found, I found that pretty uh, interesting because back to Jason's point, uh, Jason was one who welcomed them, identified with the, the missionaries, identified with the other believers. But then there are those who are or perhaps what we think is not in the forefront, but just as important, they're the encouragers. They go with them. Uh, uh, they go with, uh, along with the ride. They're there at 2 o'clock in the morning to pick you up from the airport, whatever it is. Right? They went with them all the way to Athens. But the brethren from Thessalonica sent them to Berea, which was a neighboring city. And when they arrived... Paul's custom again. He went to the synagogue of the Jews. Now they were there. Uh, they were now these were more noble-minded than those at Thessalonica, and that's what we in. Okay, we got now we got less time, but really quick is what in this passage 
signifies noble-minded. Now, not getting out of this own passage, let's look at what they did. And I think this is something for us to be uh, to take to heart and for the Lord to encourage us to do. For they, number one, received the word. That's the first thing, is they received the word of God. They didn't go to any other source. They didn't go to something else except the word of God, right? They, they took what Paul was saying, and they're eventually going to check up, but they took it as the word of God. Now, we have what the Holy Spirit said through Paul and the remaining epistles, right? And so we have the same thing, the word, and the second point, with great eagerness. And so while uh, uh, a problem would come up perhaps in our life, and we, do we go to the word? Do we run to the word with great eagerness? Do we find out what God wants us to do or what God uh, decision or whatever the case is? Do we uh, receive it with great eagerness? So receive, they receive the word and with great eagerness. The, uh, um, you know, they went full throttle into it, so to speak. And then the third one, they examined the scriptures daily. There was already that practice and to see whether these things were so. And so what, what constituted noble-minded? Well, they received the word with great eagerness and they examined the scriptures daily to see whether these things are so. And so I don't have to remind you that we live in a, in a world that's hostile to the things of God. Right? And there are those perhaps uh, even that go by the Christian name that will come out with something and it sounds spiritual or it sounds something that's truth, but it, it's something that can derail a Christian's life. Right? And we need to be careful about this. And, these, uh, and this group of people, they said they examine the Scriptures daily to see whether these things are so. So their mentality is, is their authority was the Word of God. Their authority was God. They looked to Him that was unseen. That's how they conducted their life. That constitutes noble-mindedness. And I think that's something that we too can be encouraged uh, by, is to be noble-minded, is to examine the Scriptures daily, to have that practice of receiving the Word, and not just from, you know, well, I like that guy because, you know, he speaks. And, and, I, and I'm, I'm with you. You know, there's certain speakers I do like to hear the word of God from and, and the commentary that they give. But the word, the Lord can use whoever to encourage your heart, to receive it with great eagerness. You're hungry for what, the, uh, for what God has to say, the word of God. But they examine the scriptures daily to see whether these things are so. And they cross-referenced it, um, what people were saying with what God was saying. And they conducted their life as such. And so may that be, uh, I, I ask that for myself, but may that be our, our, our prayer as well as we break from here. So let's close in a word of prayer. Our Father, we just thank you for this time, Lord, and it's such a precious time around your word to gather as a family, Lord, to examine uh, uh, certain uh, questions and things and to look into your word. And we just thank you for your spirit's guidance tonight, Lord, and to lead us. And we just pray, Lord, the things that were said uh, would be honoring to you, but also that we would make them uh, a practice in our lives, Lord, to be noble-minded and to be uh, examining your word daily to, with all eagerness and to, uh, to uh, cross-reference, Lord, everything that we hear with what is truth. Because truth is single-minded, Lord, and that we are to uh, live our lives in the truth. And so we just thank you for the Lord Jesus and we ask uh, for your blessing as we leave this place. In Lord Jesus' name we do pray. Amen.